You are listening to Rare Voices, the show that reveals the wisest path to a fulfilled life for patients with rare and orphan disorders. Brought to you by the people of OptimiCare. I'm your host, Donovan Quill. The families of people with rare conditions often feel like they have to live two lives. For the person they love and care about, they want to put on a tough and sunny face. When they take their loved one out in public, they want everyone to see just how strong the family is and how everyone should be grateful. They grit and smile through the treatment, side effects, awkward glances, and the long nights. Then there's the other life, the one where they just break down, the one that they try to keep hidden from the world and maybe even the person they care about. They keep it hidden because they don't want to come across as weak or ungrateful or even self-centered. But of course, they are humans. And they are bound to feel the weight of despair, confusion of unpredictability, and the odd joy of loving someone through tough times. Unless you live this dual life, it is hard to understand or imagine. It's not something that you can just turn off and go about your day. For the people with rare conditions and families around them, this is reality, day in and day out. Effie Parks is someone who has lived this dual life and has come out the other side. She is someone who has merged those two lives and offers an alternative for caregivers and advocates. She is the proud mother of Ford, her son born with an extremely rare condition. Her desire to create the best life for Ford drove her into advocacy and to create Once Upon a Gene, an inspiring podcast that reveals the stories of the people living and dealing with that dual life. On this episode, we both get real and swap stories about despair of diagnosis day, the hopes we have for our families, and our challenge to the healthcare industry, still blinded to the nuances of truly living life with rare disease. It's an unflinching look at real life, and I know you will enjoy it. All right. So I'm here with Effie, and, and you know, Effie has a really interesting story, and you know, I'm going to let her share this with, with all of us. Um, but for her to share it, really um, talk to me how, how you've been initiated into this world of rare disease. Well, it happened uh, exactly five years ago when my son Ford was born. Initially, we had tons of tons of problems feeding him. We couldn't actually get him to eat. It would take hours for an ounce or two to get down him. And we kept just taking him back to the doctor and the lactation specialists a couple times a week. And, you know, they kept telling my husband and I that we were just worried parents and that all kids cry. And, uh, you know, we were, we were getting the brush off and we just kept going back. We were both lucky enough to be on maternity and paternity leave together. So we had all the time in the world to bang down the door. And three months afterwards, our pediatrician looked at us and she said, I think something's wrong with Ford. And that was kind of the very beginning of our odyssey into discovering that Ford was actually born with a rare genetic syndrome called CTNNB1. And at the time, he was the 30th patient known worldwide. Wow. Um, You know, and you you hear about this a lot and, you know, you hear about you're just a worried parent or you're just a, you know, you're just concerned or even somebody who's a little bit older, you're just getting out of shape or you just can't do certain things. 
talk to me a little bit about, you know, what, what drove you to, you know, and the, and the mindset that you and your husband had to kind of keep beating that door down. I mean, you know, we, we hear so many times in rare disease, it's, you know, seven to 10 years, three to five different doctors, you know, for, for someone in their adult. And then it's, you know, it's shortened a little bit in the pediatric world, but you really talk to us, talk to me a little bit about that. What's, what's been most surprising to you and what kept you guys going? What kept you guys beating that door down? You know, the FE five years ago in that instance is so much different than the FE now because I wouldn't have let that happen longer than once. Um, you know, I was still being super polite and letting myself get brushed off because I, I looked at the medical professionals as such an authority figure and that they knew better than me. And which, sure, those things are true, but it's also it's also not true, right? And I think that yeah. we should all come to the table as a team and listen to each other a little better. Um, but yeah, I would say that I let myself get brushed off and that I was still just kind of scrounging and clawing at the wall and hoping someone would listen to me. But I didn't realize that I could say, no, something is wrong and I need you to send me somewhere else. I didn't know that I could just get a different pediatrician. I didn't realize that I was in control of our situation in that way. So I let it go on longer than I would now. Um, and I think that's something you learn getting thrust into the medical world, right? Like you don't, you go to the doctor once a year, maybe for nothing that important, usually if we're lucky and you just don't know this stuff until you start to live it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I couldn't say it better than you just did is, you know, you, when, once you live it, you realize that you, that you look back and you say, I could have asked these questions. I could have pushed a little harder. I could have, because we all look at doctors as, you know, they're the experts in, in what we're, in what we're all going through. And unfortunately with 30 patients diagnosed, there's no expert, right? There, there's somebody who, who may be studying it now, but with 30, with 30 patients and even, you know, a thousand patients, there's, there's very few experts on a particular disorder. So, you know, it's interesting how, that, that you probably had to, you probably had to educate the physicians just as much as, as they educated you in this, right? Yeah. And I think that's the case for all of us, right? Like the patients know more <laughs> than the doctors <laughs> typically, and not because of any other reason, but like, why would they know about it? You know, um, and we know things that aren't written down in a paper from one study that maybe was luckily done. So listening to the parents and the patients is obviously so important and totally different. Um, but yeah, back to what you asked earlier too. Some other things is the classic gut, right? The classic parent gut, uh, knowing something, the knowing, right? And the mm -hmm. instinct. And then also the fact that I come from a really large family myself and I've been surrounded by babies for as long as I can remember. And I've taken care of babies since I was a kid and it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. Right. Yeah. I, I, I look at the, uh, the parent or the, I always say the mom instinct is probably a little stronger than the dad having, you know, a couple of kids myself. I know my wife always is her ears are up a little bit faster than mine. I'm always kind of like, they're okay. They're okay. But I, I, I totally understand the, uh, the, the parent gut reaction is, you know, there's something wrong when there's something wrong. And, and, you know, I, I, I give you kudos to, to really pushing back on that because it's something that you really had to, had to do. And, you know, and you're right, you know, physicians don't know everything because they can't know everything. 
And, you know, there, yeah, there might've been one study done. And if they happen to read it during medical school, or if they happen to pay attention, you know, to that really small particular disease state or, or genetic marker, um, they might know a little bit about it, but it's really difficult for physicians to, to know everything. And they're people just like we are. For sure. And up until then, they're super smart. (laughs) But they're just like we are. (laughs) Exactly. They're human beings. And yeah, it it took a year for that to happen. So in the beginning, it was even less of a window of knowing for the medical professionals and ourselves. You know, we started him in the emergency room at three months old with failure to thrive. And we didn't get that CT and NB1 diagnosis until exactly a year later. So there was also that whole year of everyone scratching their head. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, really has, has drawn me to you and and following you on social media and following, you know, your, you as a, as a parent. Um, I think we all kind of bond together in the rare disease world. Um, And one of the things that you've done is you've told your story and you're, and you continue telling your story and you continue bringing this out in other people. And you have a, you have a great show, um, you know, once upon a gene, what inspired you to, to want to share your story and what, what inspired you to really kind of to develop once upon a gene? Thank you, Donovan, for saying that. I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, you know, it was, it was kind of a mixture of things. Uh, I've always connected with people um, just from my my past history of like my jobs every job I've had was behind the chair or behind the bar or whatever and I've listened to people my entire life Um, and when I started this journey with Ford and I was in the car for hours and hours all the time in Seattle traffic going to specialists and therapy every single day five days a week I needed to listen to something and I was searching and there was just not a lot of content. And I remember finding, I always have to shout these guys out. I found the Two Disabled Dudes podcast because I was just searching any buzzword that I could think of that was in my new reality. And these two dudes were making me laugh and making me smile and making me cry and giving me hope and talking about their journey as two rare disease patients with a serious serious disorder and they were living and they were loving life and they were finding hope and it brought me so much comfort and it was it was like f- this first little like sliver of light of like hey ford's life isn't going to be the worst it's not going to be doom and gloom forever just because of this scary reality that you don't understand or know about there could be a whole different lane and there is light at the end of the tunnel. You just have to, you just have to choose to go down there and listening to those guys just really finally brought me to a place of acceptance. And I was excited in a way to actually shift gears and take control of what was happening. Um, and honestly, I just knew it. Like, I just felt it. I was like, I could make a podcast. I want to talk to these other parents. <laughs> I want to talk to these other doctors because I have no idea what's going on and I need to find other people who do. And their stories were helping me tend to my own wounds. And I was like, this is this is brilliant. This is what we should do for our community. You know, there were two, three other podcasts sort of on the subject and there just wasn't enough content and I was out of it. 
So I decided to make some. So I Googled, how do you make a podcast, Effie? And that's how <laughs> it started. <laughs> and and that, that's, that's just, a, it's, it's, it's an awesome story. It's inspiring to others. And, you know, and, and one of the things you always hear and, you know, that I've heard throughout my time is, you know, tell your story. There's, there's people listening. And, and I think you've given a voice to a lot of people. And one of the, one of the things that, that you mentioned was hope. And, and all of us that are involved with rare disease and have family members and loved ones who are going through, through that, you have to have hope. And, and, and hope will drive innovation and hope will drive a lot of the things that, that we accomplish every day in the rare disease world. And, you know, can you talk a little bit about, you know, that, that, that hope you have and that hope you have for the future and, and, and what you see, you know, can inspire, you know, different people? Yeah, I mean, that question has so many ideas behind <laughs> it, you know. Um, obviously, there's this hope that rare diseases are going to be studied more and that there's going to be more treatments and there's going to be more cures and there's going to be more money and more technology. There's all of that. And there's this hope that we have just for society, right? Like, I wish when I went to the playground, people didn't look at me the way they do. I wish parents and kids didn't ask me some of the questions that they ask me or don't ask me. I wish it was normal. I wish it was cool, you know, to see this four-year-old whizzing through the store in his wheelchair rather than everyone uncomfortably stopping and not moving to make sure that, I don't know, they don't get in his way or something and just make it normal. Like, i I have an idea that, you know, kids like Ford will just be so normal <laughs> that it won't even be noticed almost, um, that there will just be access for people like them, that I won't have to call ahead everywhere I go to see if we can come. Things like that. Like I have, I have hopes in all directions. I have hopes that people will want to share their stories and they will do it as a form of service to someone else because I believe that's what our stories are in the rare disease community. I think that if you can tell your story with the idea that you're doing a community service, that you're donating something to someone else to help, that there is so much power in that. And especially in the beginning when you feel like the world blew up and you're super lost and nobody relates to you, that's when it's so crucial to have that direct line or to be able to cast something out to catch someone like the two disabled dudes or me or you <laughs> or any of us without not knowing that it existed for two years, without having to search the internet, unknowing where you're really going. Uh, I have lots of ideas, Donovan, and I could just keep talking about that. But that's those are pretty much some of the things that are on my heart right now. No, I, I love it. I'm gonna I'm gonna unpack some of those ideas and 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 really, you know, get to a couple of these things. So when we look at, you know, you just mentioned something, and I think we've all been there, and we've all we all have that moment where you know that that somebody who's involved in rare rare disease, where either you were diagnosed or you had a loved one diagnosed, and that's when the world blew up. That's when your world changed forever. You know, and I've talked about this on on certain podcasts that I've been interviewed on, and even even on this one where 
you know, I know the exact moment where my life changed when my dad was diagnosed with alpha one, you know, or my dad, it became real to us. We were in Disney, right. And he came off a water slide and couldn't breathe. When Ford was diagnosed, when he, when you finally got the news, they, Hey, here's this thing, right? Here's, here's his diagnosis of, you know, CTNNB1. Let's talk about that feeling a little bit. Let's talk about what, what, what changed in your world right at that moment, you know, and, and, and I think there's, there's probably a positive and there's probably a lot of, of negatives that, that came on about both. So let's talk about that a little bit. What, what, when, when your world blew up, <laughs> what were some of the, like some of the things that you initially went through and, and you know, you can get as, as deep or uh, talk about it or, or, you know, blow me off. I, I, I think that's a, it's a, it's a huge moment for parents and it's a huge moment for people when they're diagnosed. Yeah. A diagnosis day is like getting branded. I mean, the memory yeah. is seared into your brain. Um, and I think, I, th- I think it's like that for everyone. Uh, for me, I honestly wasn't expecting a diagnosis. The geneticist originally actually wanted to give us a West test without us even asking or figuring it out because she was intrigued about Ford and she was convinced that he had this fatal form of albinism called Hermansky-Pudlak syndrome, where if he didn't have a lung transplant, eventually he would die. Just because he had white hair, white skin, he was just as white, the whitest person you could see. So that's how we got our West test. So for eight months, I covered him up with blankets, bought UV clothing, had sunblock on him every moment, sunglasses on him every moment, uh, was researching albinism, just bananas in fear of this disease that she mentioned that she was convinced he had. So there was that part. And when she told us, hey, we actually have an answer, it's not the answer we thought it was. Then I was like, you know, I actually didn't think you were going to be right about the first answer. And I didn't think you were actually going to give me one either. So getting a diagnosis was also a shock because I just still didn't really grasp that this was real and that this could happen to our family. And that was the worst day ever. Um, I remember my mother-in-law was writing everything down and she, she wrote CTNNB1 down and she just kept tracing it. I'm sorry. I still get emotional sometimes about that. That's okay. And it all kind of went pretty dark after that. And I called my sister who lives two and a half hours away from me. And uh, I told her she, she needed to come down because I, I couldn't take care of Ford that day. Like, I just couldn't do it. And she came down and she just held me and she let me wail and she let me ask crazy questions out loud. Like, why is this happening to me? What did I do? And she, she just held me and she took care of Ford and I'm so glad that she was there for that because otherwise I would have been alone with Ford in an even more upsetting situation. And yeah, diagnosis day is the pits. And I think everybody has the same, has the same feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, But after that, you know, it was, it was kind of weird. I 
I kind of lived two lives. I was like, okay, you know what? I'm capable. I have a lot of support. I also don't like to be a problem. I don't like to inconvenience people. Look how beautiful my child is. Everything's fine. And I did all the things and I tried to hang out with my friends and their new babies and this and that. And then I was also living this entirely different life where I was four hours a day in therapy. I was at the doctor. I was Googling things. My son wouldn't sleep or eat or do any of the things babies were doing. And it was so straining and so hard. And it took a long time for me to realize that my life had completely shifted and I couldn't live two worlds anymore. And in doing all of that, like I found out what anxiety was, which I didn't know. Uh, I found out what it felt like to feel like you were choking because you were trying to manage the situation so much instead of actually deal with it. Um, so it was a little bit of a roller coaster, Donovan. It wasn't super pretty. Uh, but I did my best and I got to a point where I didn't like the way I was feeling and I wasn't, I wasn't okay with it. And I felt scared all the time and I just really didn't like it. Um, so I made the choice and I found a few resources that helped me kind of get over that hump and figure out that I needed to do something. Long-winded, don't know if that answered your question, but. No, it did. I, I, you know, I, I think we, you know, I think everybody reacts similar. And, and when I say that, I, you know, I, I remember my mom and my, you know, my brother and I all reacting in a different way. Where, you know, my mom thought, "Hey, this is the end. This is this is where my partner, you know, is gone." And you know, my brother and I, this is where, you know, I and I get emotional too. So sorry. <laughs> no apologies. You know. Our, our Superman is, is not Superman, you know, and you, you, you know, I, I was a kid, I was, you know, 13, 14 years old, you know, and my brother was younger than I was. So you, you react differently when you, when you see that happen, you know, and unfortunately I watched my aunts and uncles all, all die from this prior to my dad being, you know, he, we, we kind of knew this was in the family, but we didn't know how he would be, you know, affected. And I think that's where we all made the choice of, Hey, we're going to, we went through some doom and gloom. Hey, we're going to, we're going to fight this thing. We're going to do what we can. We're going to listen to what the doctors tell us. We're going to look at therapies that are available. We're going to look at, you know, treatment. We're going to look at any type of thing that's going to help you and, and get to that point. And, you know, and then it, then it, unfortunately with my daddy declined even more and, you know, we had to have that tough conversation around, do we have a lung transplant? Because what are the odds with that? And we had to decide that as a family. So I, I think, you know, one of the things that you, you you mentioned is your sister was there for you. You have a large family. You have the support that's there. And I think that's one of the things that people really have to understand is you have to, while it's very difficult to bring others into your world, because you're not even sure you want to live in your world, you know, living two different worlds. You, you have to really understand what people can do to help you. And you, and, and I think from, from listening to your story, you reached out for help. 
you needed it. And none of us can go through this alone. So whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member, whether it's, you know, your podcast, whether it's my podcast, whether, whether it's just talking to somebody and hearing something somewhere, reaching out to someone on social media that you see may have something similar or they just have a disorder. You, you, the, the biggest thing I think is, is really having people that are going to be there for you and knowing when you need to reach them. You know, I think you said it perfect. You, you know, at the time you couldn't do anything. You had to have your sister there. She had to hold you. She had to be there for you. And, and, and you needed that, you know? So I, I think that's one of the biggest things that, you know, from, from this that people can understand is they need, you need others. You can't do it alone and you can't live two separate worlds. You have to just embrace the world you live in and, and embrace the the things you have. And I think that's something that, you know, hopefully our listeners, you know, take from what you just said is, is you have to make that choice and you have to make that choice to, to, to live the life that you can live and you know that you can handle. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I know you learned that with the disease that has plagued your family and having so many people with that experience who had been there in some way. Uh, but yeah, you, you can't, you can't do it alone. You won't make it. Nobody's going to be happy and nobody's going to feel good. And there's a lot there's a lot of joy to find somewhere later in it really deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you find it, it's just magnified because you didn't know that it was there anymore. Right. So let's, let's so let, let's look at, you know, some of this and, and let's look at the healthcare industry and, you know, let's, let's think about the, you know, we, we mentioned the hope, right? We mentioned earlier on when we were talking about hope, we mentioned technology, we mentioned, um, you know, new drug developments. Let's, so let's talk about that a little bit. You know, what are some of the things that we can see from a, not just a, you know, a, a treatment standpoint, but, you know, a whole patient care standpoint when it comes to, you know, the healthcare industry, what are some of the things that we can look for, for in, in, in helping bring that hope to advancements in the healthcare industry itself, you know, from a, from a total care perspective? Well, I think that's the key program is total care perspective, <laughs> um, you know, and and I do think that this is becoming more prominent and it's a conversation that's being had a lot is bringing the patient to the table as a decision maker, as one of the brains. Um, and I think that's happening, right? Like listening to the voices of the people living it listening to what's actually going to make a difference in their life. Like maybe you don't get to decide if that drug's going to be good for me because of this side effect, but maybe this side effect that allows me to do something independently, like load the dishwasher, you didn't know was going to happen, but that's really important for me. So like listening to the little things, right? Like listening to the stories, actual medical professionals, biotech, whomever, listening to the stories from the people who are living this every single day and learning about the things that you don't necessarily think of because you're dealing with all the science and the bureaucracy and whatever it is. Um, Because the voice of our families are vital. Um, And I, and I do think that's happening more now, which is really exciting. And I think medical professionals especially are, not maybe as pressured as they used to be to separate themselves as 
emotional beings from us. <laughs> and I think that's cool. Um, yeah. So that's my, that's my thought on that. I think um, is that we're, we're a team and you can't do it with nothing. What's that lovely saying about everything? Nothing about us without us. Like it, it's, it's true. <laughs> it is. You know, and, and one of the things you just said there, I, I, you know, I couldn't agree more. And especially when you start seeing, you know, some of these advancements in, in drug development and, you know, you're starting to see the gene therapy advancements and, you know, I know you're very, you probably stay very close to some of that. It, you see the, you see the, the physicians taking more of a, of a, of a, of a role that works with the patient. And they, and they start to think about the patient and they start getting involved in the lives of these patients. And, you know, we had a, we had a re- researcher on our show, um, Jennifer Moulet, um, who we were introduced from with a, by a patient and she came on and, you know, there's a handful of patients that, that have the disorder that, that, that she works with, but she's a researcher and, and she really, that's, that's how she's gotten really involved with, with what she's looking at is she got involved with the patient group and they started talking to her and she started understanding more from a patient perspective and starting doing some research on different things within the, you know, the genetic disorder she worked with. Um, you know, we look at other disorders where the, the patients and the physicians sit on a medical and scientific board. Um, so, you know, these, these conditions that have 20, 30, 40 patients, there may be one person who's really paying attention to that stuff, but that one person can really make a difference in the lives of those patients and the lives of that research. And, and how do they bring that together? And, you know, hopefully that we see that more, more and more advancements in that, but I couldn't agree more is, is, is having those physicians not, not blur the lines, but cross the line. And it's from a researcher to a friend. And totally. And getting to feel proud of what you get to do every day because you know what you're fighting for. Like, how cool is that? Um, And also sharing it, right? Like, that's another extremely important piece is, like, let's just share everything. Everybody unlock your lockbox and tell that group what you know about what can help them further their research and their Mm -hmm. advocacy population. Like we're all a big team, not just the doctor and the patient, but like the rare disease community, the biotech companies, like everybody just needs to have a powwow and, and stop living in silos about everything. Right. Like we're going to move forward so much faster if we all help each other with our homework. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and and, And you look at all these different, different, genetic markers and they're going to be, we're going to start, I, I believe we're going to start finding that some of them are intertwined Totally. And what we can find out with, with Ford's disorder might help, you know, a, 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 a kid who was just diagnosed and he's one of one, right? Like, you know, we'll start finding those things. And I think that's one of the, the what, what I couldn't agree with what you said more is just bringing the, the community together and, and we're all on the same team. Let's, let's focus on that. Let's do their homework together. Let's, get our, all our voices out there and let's really have us understand what's going on in this world. And don't be ashamed to raise your hand and say, I want to be part of this. Mm-hmm. I want to, here's my, here's my kid's story. Here's my mom's story. Here's my dad's story. Here's my story. You know, yeah. tell your story. There's people listening. Yeah. And we all have something different to bring to the table. Right. And they're all important pieces, whether it's 
the parent who is so good at raising $4 million or this parent who kicks butt at, you know, the advocacy group stuff Mm -hmm. or someone telling their story on podcasts like yours and mine, like they all have to be together. Can't can't agree more on that. So let's look at a a message that you would give. So let's look at Effie five years ago. And and we started talking about this a little bit now, you know, a a bit ago and we kind of, you know, kept going, but let's look at Effie five years ago and Effie today, what, what would you go back and tell yourself and what, what could be the biggest, I guess, message that you could give other parents where they're searching for answers for their, for their child or a loved one, you know, and don't just look at it from a pediatric standpoint, look at it from, you know, any caregiver. What, what would be your biggest advice First of all, I would give them a big welcome packet with lots and lots of <laughs> advice. And it would probably come with a can of champagne and like maybe some ID puffers. Um, but I would say, I would say just let yourself feel all of the feelings. Let yourself go through the gunk and feel mad and sad and jealous and in despair like you have to feel that and you have to accept that those are just the feelings that happen rather than bury them down and pretend they don't exist uh, because that makes you sick and that prevents you from doing so many things and getting further ahead and it blinds you from a lot of the happy things that might be happening and it's okay to feel all those things they're just feelings and you don't have to be ashamed you don't have to feel bad that you don't want to go to your neighbor's kid's birthday party because they're eating cake and blowing out candles. Like, don't feel bad about that. It's okay and it's normal. And you don't have to go to that birthday party for a couple of years if you don't want to. And don't, I think, I think creating boundaries around things like that in the beginning is really important for self preservation because you already have everything going on that you never imagined would be happening. And you have to protect yourself. So let yourself be mad because it won't last forever. You'll realize how to work through that and just understand, <laughs> yeah, this sucks. Okay, now what? But when you bury that, it grows and it webs into really horrible, horrible things that are hard to repair. They take longer. So I would say that. I would say let yourself go through all the stages of grief own it. And I would also say, find your people, however you need to find them. If it's in person, if it's, you know, your early intervention crowd, ask for parents who have kids like mine. If it's a blog, if it's podcasts, there are so many. I've I've personally believed that hearing the sound of someone's voice is really powerful. Um, there are so many ways on social media now that you can find people and pick and choose. Don't just join groups. Lots of them can be disruptive to your emotional state. So make sure that you know what kind of energy is in a Facebook group. Uh, Don't just join every single thing and don't feel weird if you have to leave it. Find the people who make you feel warmer and grab a hold of them and email them and text them and find out what you need to find out from them because they're going to respond to you because we've all been there and 
the rare disease community is the most amazing, kind-hearted, loving community that you're ever going to unfortunately have to join. Um, and we're out here and all we want to do is make sure that it's a little easier for the person behind us. I don't know if anybody said it any better than that. <laughs> um, it's true, right? Like we all. It is true. You could have said totally that. True. That's exactly what, yeah. what we feel. Yeah. And, and I think that's what our community really looks at is, is doesn't matter what disorder you have, we're here to help you and we're here to navigate through it. And, you know, it, what's interesting is when you do get together as, as a larger rare disease community, not just for your disorder, you, you meet folks with all kinds of different conditions. So reaching out to someone like you or someone, you know, like me or, or, you know, Sanath, who was on one of our other podcasts, being that we, we, we know all the different folks, we may be able to connect you to, you know, the one of one. We a hundred percent can. Now you're two of one. And now yeah. you're, you know, and, and we can help by, you know, making it just a stronger army to, you know, develop therapies and develop, you know, cures and develop, you know, fundraising efforts, whatever it may be, you know, the more folks we have together, the, the, the better we are, uh, we're going to move ahead. Absolutely. So, so speaking of that, so we're in our second year of our podcast and we've chosen the theme onward. And what we mean by that is, you know, how can we look forward together? And, and I think one of the, the themes that we've talked about on this show is you got to find your people and you got to be together. So when, when you look at our theme, what kind of futures do you think are possible for people and families that are impacted with uh, rare and orphan conditions? Well, I would like there to be a softer place to land, like right away. <laughs> <laughs> I would like the those beginning stages to not be so murky. Um, I would like day one, you know, medical professionals to know about these resources and to have them available, whether it's Global Genes or Nord or podcasts, like just basic beginning stages. Um, I think that especially over the last year or so with uh, the internet and people having to do everything online, I feel like it has made a lot of connections stronger and it's made us realize what we can get done in different ways. And we've had to be scrappy. Um, I think this is exciting times in science. You know, I think um, I just really feel like as long as we all keep continuing these conversations, Maybe we have a couple extra online summits with patients and families. <laughs> I just think these conversations being amplified are so important. And I think that they're getting recognition by the people outside of our big circle, right? Like policy and just all of the things. I think rare disease is going to be trending and... I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the parents and the families who feel so completely isolated to never have to feel like that for more than 24 hours. I don't know if I answered your question. I kind of forgot you did. what it was. Uh, absolutely. But- I think those are all those are those are all the things that hopefully, you know, as we look onward, we can we can accomplish and the, those like- are exactly the things that we should be thinking about how we can accomplish it. Yeah, we and just need to be can, loud. Yeah, <laughs> we need to be loud and and, and be pr- and be proud. I mean, it yes. you know it's it's one of the things I, I think that you said earlier. You know, how can you get through 
and live a normal. How, how can it just be normal? You know, be be proud of. Hey, I, I have a I have a special marker. I have something that you know may or may not have been you know a a bonus um, to to helping others. Right? My you know Ford may have he, he was chosen. Right? He, he he has this marker, and it's something that will something will be uncovered from that one day. He'll he'll potentially you know save lives. And, yeah. and those are the things I think you have to look at. Yeah. So ask the right questions and don't be afraid to ask certain questions. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult when somebody comes up to you and I, you know, I know, I know firsthand when, you know, my dad would be carrying an oxygen tank around and somebody would come up to him and be like, Oh, were you a smoker? Well, sort of, <laughs> you know, it was, it wasn't because of smoking that this is, it's a genetic disorder. Um, you know, and when he had his liver failure, it was, well, did you drink a lot? Well, no, it w- it's because of a genetic disorder. Well, what genetic disorder? What does it do? How do I find it? Who, you know, who tests for it? Why isn't there more done for it? You know, and same thing I'm sure you're asked with Ford is, Hey, well, what's wrong? What's wrong with him? Why do you, why does he have to be in a wheelchair? And it's okay to ask that it's, and I've heard it a million, you probably heard it a million times why somebody asks it, but don't step back step forward and, and learn, be educated. And, and as long as you're, and, and if you keep doing that, hopefully it will become normal at some point that people will feel okay coming and asking in a normal way, not in a hesitant way. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, what's wrong with Ford? What's wrong with your son? Hey, can I, is there something I, you know, I can learn more about? Yeah. And I think those are the things that, you know, as we look onward and having that voice and having that being proud of who we are and what we do and how we do it, is it's just per is the way you have to think about it. Yeah, being proud of it and then also realizing what a luxurious luxurious <laughs> life we're living in the way that I know you understand Donovan, maybe you're maybe you're at lunch and one of the people at the table is complaining about something that you could just never ever right. imagine giving two breaths to. Because what a waste of space. Because you know, oh my gosh, that is so not important. Yep. And just knowing that these little things that you can capture throughout your days are the most amazing things about life. And you wouldn't have noticed them before. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. I mean, you can't say it better than that. And you, just, you just get so good at not sweating the small stuff that it's a superpower. Right. Yeah, it really is. It really is. It is that superpower that that I think a lot of folks with rare disease and and even even you know chronic dis- chronic disease or something people have to go through they 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 can tune out and forget about the small stuff so they can live every day to the fullest that they can possibly live. So looking at that, so I want our listeners to 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 know how they can learn more about you. What are some of the things that you're doing these days that they can tap into? Well, I'm in your face everywhere. That's probably how you found me, Donovan. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, my podcast, you know, onceuponagene.com, uh, feparks.com. Any podcast app, you can download it. There is uh, the Disorder Channel. You can download the Disorder Channel on Roku or Amazon Fire. It was started by Bo Bigelow and Daniel DeFabio of the Rare Disease Film Festival. And it's a digital platform they created, and it's full of rare disease films and shows. Uh, 
there's an offshoot of Once Upon a Gene TV there where I host it with the dudes themselves. And that's more of like a fun, practical takeaway version of the show. Um, and we always have a special guest teaching us one thing or another. So you can find me in like any medium uh, ever, which is weird. Um, <laughs> you can email me anytime. It might take me a couple of days to get back to you. You can message me on social media anywhere. Uh, if I can point you in the direction of someone that can help you or a resource that you need, just ask uh, because I bet you 95% of the time I can give you the answer that you need um, or point you to someone is what I mean. So don't hesitate. I'm here all over the place and I just want more podcasts like yours and mine to show up because everyone has a different taste and flavor and we all speak to so many different types of people and I just believe in this kind of content so much for our community because it's accessible and it's easy to digest and you can go to it when you need to well thank you so much Afida I'm glad we actually found each other through social media because it's uh, hopefully a you know a start of a wonderful friendship and long lasting friendship and I thank you for joining us on Rare Voices and there's anything else you have, we'd love to hear it. No, I, I'm really grateful to you for having me on your show, Donovan. And I think what you're doing is so amazing. And your family story is so important. And uh, I really commend you for what you're doing. And I can't wait to have you as a guest on my show, too. Perfect. Thank you. You've been listening to Rare Voices, brought to you by the people of OptimiCare. If you want to hear more Rare Voices, go to rare-voices.com. There you can learn about our shows, read articles from industry thought leaders, and fill out a form to be a guest on Rare Voices. Again, that's rare-voices.com. I'm Donovan Quill, co-founder of OptimiCare. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to listen for more Rare Voices all around you each and every day. Every day.